SBC Media. Welcome to iGaming Daily, analysing the news from the betting and gaming industry all over the globe. Supported by SBC Summit Barcelona, the industry-leading conference bringing you the future of sports betting and iGaming. SBC Summit Barcelona is where you can experience the entire global industry coverage under one roof. Join 10,000 industry professionals for three days of game-changing conversation and education. Get your tickets now at sbcevents.com. Reported today on Payment Expert, Klarna Cosma, the open banking platform from the Buy Now Pay Later firm, has been shut down after less than 18 months. This isn't the topic to be discussed further in today's episode of iGaming Daily, sponsored by SBC Summit Barcelona. But the news did open a thriving debate in the SBC office regarding open banking and its potential evolution within iGaming. And joining me to discuss all things open banking today is Payment Experts Editor Joe Streeter. Hi Joe, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay, thank you. A thriving debate on open banking is very much also where I thrive. So yeah, it's been it's been a good day and uh, yeah, it was a good weekend as well. I saw, um, not to go start on a lighter note, but I saw Oppenheimer. Have you seen it yet? I, I haven't. I, am, I haven't been to the cinema since 1996. So, wow, um... wow. Okay, well, it's worth breaking that trend for Oppenheimer because it is three hours of cinematic genius. Really? Okay. Well, perhaps I'll... Um, perhaps I'll consider not waiting for it to come out on streaming services but uh don't uh, don't hold your breath on that so uh perhaps if we um turn our attention a bit more back to uh something the listeners might be interested in rather than my cinematic habits um, <laughs> and that is the future of uh, open banking so perhaps just as a as a, a starter could you uh, tell us a little bit about sort of how significant open banking is within the gambling industry and, and what sort of potential it has to uh, to develop. Yeah, definitely. And firstly, let me commend you on as smooth a transition as you're ever going to get from Oppenheimer to open banking, because that was very delicately done. Um, but open banking and gambling, it, as we've been speaking about today, it, it's massive. It, it, well, it has the potential to be massive. It's as we've seen in other spaces, the tech is really sort of transforming payment journeys across retail and across e-commerce. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to easily transition into iGaming, but largely we've seen that the best principles from e-commerce payments can be taken into gambling payments. It takes time, but they can be taken there and they can uh, the, the iGaming payment journey can benefit from them. I think one of the uh, key benefits talking, um, uh, one of the key hurdles, I should say, talking from a UK perspective is a little bit of a lack of maturity. Uh, And I think that's something we need to overcome before we truly see the benefits of open banking uh, when it comes to boosting efficiency in the payment journey in in iGaming. Okay, so we've seen in sort of continental Europe, in particular Scandinavia, open banking has become a a really important payment tool for gambling operators. Um, But for those of us uh, less familiar, perhaps those of us based in the UK, what what sort of elements of gambling uh, can open banking be key to, to evolving? Well, I think I'm going to cast your mind back now, Martin, to the uh, the review, the white paper review. It's almost, uh, yeah, it seems like a long time ago now. It was a, a long time coming, but it almost seems a distant memory now. But I think one of the big moments, one of the big size of the 
uh, sighs of relief for the iGaming industry and for customers as well, or uh, say customers, I mean players, um, was that checks, um, affordability checks, especially for the vast majority, are not going to be overly intrusive. Um, but that does present a challenge as well, I think it presents, uh, because there are going to be affordability checks, obviously, they need to be there, they're essential to safer gambling and to a safer gambling climate, but they aren't going to be overly intrusive on the majority of customers or, or players. So that's where open banking tech can come into force. I think, as you mentioned, Scandinavia, we've seen it break down barriers in terms of KYC and really break down barriers in terms of um, access to data uh, and enabling, it can enable um, operators to build a better picture of what a customer's, keep using that term customers, what a player's um, financial picture, financial background looks like without um, getting them to post their bank statements or show pictures of their bank statements or you know, there are wage slips, that type of stuff that is going to just lead to hesitation from players. And it's going to, you know, it's, it's, it is intrusive, isn't it? It's not nice to do. It's not nice to ask somebody to do. I've been on both sides of that coin. I've been worked in retail betting and having been a, you know, a casino player, it's not a great thing to be part of. It's, it's, but with open banking, um, that, that journey, that process is far smoother, I think. Or it can be far smoother if we really tap into it. The other one, which um, I think uh, more operators are tapping into now, is withdrawal times. I think open banking can be crucial with uh, withdrawal times. Gone are the days where you you won your bets on a Saturday or you lost them. If you if you were me largely on a Saturday, you lost them anyway. Um, and then you had to wait till Wednesday to get your money back. You were three to five working days. You all remember the three to five working days, right? And that was a nightmare. But now it's a, it's an instant process. It's beautiful. It's uh, yeah, it's a great thing, and it really does just improve the online experience so much. Yeah, well, that that's uh, interesting. When I uh, I'm old enough that when I uh, had my first win on uh, online betting. Uh, some a company based I can't remember where it was now it's at Bermuda or the Cayman Islands or something <laughs> sent me a check it took over a month for the check to arrive with uh, with my winnings so um, wow can you remember I mean, what the, the, the uh, bet was yes I uh, I bet on the uh, the northeast Premier League market for Newcastle to finish above Middlesbrough and Sunderland um, which they hadn't done in the previous season. So I got a really nice win there. Yeah. Nice. So, that, um, I can tell how long that was ago because Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Sunderland all in the top flight is that's a long that's a, seems like an alien prospect now. Yeah. I mean, people think I'm making it up when I say Middlesbrough were a top flight team. They, they really <laughs> were for quite a long time. <laughs> I had uh I remember my first massive win was uh, it was a little bit treacherous and uh, yeah, yeah, I was never truly forgiven for it from my uh, from my Man United supporting dad, but it was the year City. This is my first big win. I remember was when City won the title. I had uh, Sheffield Wednesday to get promoted, Shrewsbury to win the league, Reading to get promoted, and Man City to win the league. And that was made at the start of the season. I had four pound on it, two hundred and fifty to one, and I was only eighteen. And yeah, winning a grand, I was the richest kid in college. It was a great time for me. Wow. 
Well, that is a that is an impressive uh, impressive foresight foresight there. Sorry, just and just going back to your previous answer, actually, the uh, the other bit that is really interesting um, about affordability. Uh, I had, I uh, interviewed somebody from one of the big operators, big UK operators, yesterday, and we were talking about safer gambling largely, and he told me, you know. At, you know, all our safer gambling interventions are really positively received from players. They act on them really well, apart from when you ask them affordability questions. And he, he said the best word to describe the response of players to intrusive affordability checks is they get angry. Uh, and quite often they, they also, um, you know, there's a risk of losing that player is really high then because they've become angry with the system. So... Anything that um, avoids that while still maintaining that kind of um, player safety level around the affordability issues is going to be really valuable once we get that up, up and running properly in the UK, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the key things with open banking is those checks uh, can go on in the background and they can go largely unnoticed by the players. And I think that was something that was pointed out in the review as well. That's that's how they want the checks to take place. So I think that's a really positive thing in ter- terms of customer retention, as you mentioned. So um, perhaps uh, turning our attention um, away from fondly remembered bets, uh, winning bets of yesteryear, and obviously the reason that both you and I remember those so fondly is we've not had many of them uh, in the intervening period, sadly, which is why we're both uh, working at SBC and... Uh, writing stories about this stuff and recording podcasts and so on. Um, but what, I, what I'd like to focus on away from that is perhaps the um, some of the more technical aspects of the regulation and so on. Um, there's a lot of chatter about at the moment about PSD3. So I wonder if you could just tell our listeners where we're up to with this and, and what you've learned about uh, the possible regulation so far. Well, already, Martin, I'm optimistic because if you're hearing a lot of chatter about PSD3, that means you're mixing in the right circles because I do think we need to be prepared for this. Uh, Likely, we are uh, at least a couple of years away, but um, at the heart of PSD3, and I spoke to uh, Forter about this uh, earlier in the week, it, it will be data sharing. I think there'll be some stability brought to data sharing. I think what that lead, that will lead to, and it sort of relates back to open banking, is uh, stronger communication between banks, processors, PSPs and merchants and the whole payments ecosystem. In turn, um, I think this is just going to boost the customer journey. If, we, if we're prepared for PSD3, I think this will boost the customer journey and it can enable banks to uh, eradicate friction from the from each aspect of the, the customer journey as well. It, even sort of uh, getting rid of those false declines that, that are so annoying for consumers. Sure, sure. And you think, um, what, 2025, really, the timescale for this coming in? Uh, maybe 2026, early 2026. So I think you're probably, yeah, I think 2026. So, yeah, by that time, I think uh, your beloved Newcastle will have won a Premier League. And, yeah, 2026, I'm saying. My Man United team will be in the Championship. Excellent. Uh, well, let's hope at least one of those predictions comes true. So, <laughs> um, but um, you know, so just to finish off there, I think so. Uh, what you've been outlining there about what you think might be in that regulation is all, all very positive. Um, 
payments such a key driver for the economy, getting that right. Um, anything that uh, governments can do to improve that is a, a real positive for everybody, both industry and consumer, I think. So it uh, be interesting to see how that develops. Um, so while I've got you, Joe, and uh, just to finish off, uh, can you tell us what else has been sort of happening news-wise on Payments Expert and also um, on uh, the other site you edit, uh, Insider Sport? Yeah, well, I think I keep, keep with the theme of the podcast and keep it payments. I think you're 100% correct in what you say that uh, payments, you know, they can be a big driver of uh, and an efficient payment ecosystem can be a massive driver for economic growth. And that's very much what we are seeing a focus on in the US with the uh, the Fed now. Um, it's obviously taken a little while for it to launch, but we, yeah, we're, we're at its launch now. And really exciting times in the US with the, the Federal Reserve bringing the, the Fed now to, to the fore. Um, it's a, another focus on instant payments. I think the US is replicating uh, the priority of the of Europe with this focus on instant payments. Um, they may have suffered from a, a lack of uh, regulation, a lack of regulatory bodies in this space in recent years, but the launch of Fed now is something that can really bolster the US economy and provide a real boost for the uh, US um, payment ecosystem. I think, uh, yeah, that's that's a, a big story. And another one to keep your eye on, a bit more of a niche one, a bit of a, uh, yeah, a bit, a bit of a, a wacky one, but it is interesting nonetheless, is the the bitter row between uh, Nigel Farage and Nat West that we've seen taking place in the UK. I think this is an important story, not just because, um, not just because of the significance, because it's taking mainstream news, but also because I think it's important that banks, especially the main banks, don't get dragged into a culture war at a time of economic hardship. I think uh, people's perception from all angles of the political uh, spectrum, uh, their perspective on banks is very important. I, I think if there's a level of distrust there, especially at, at this economic time, it, it can be very worrying. So, yeah, interesting to see how that develops. And interesting from, I know you worked in PR. I know you are, I would describe you as something of a PR guru. Interesting to see how NatWest handle this one because it's a bit of a nightmare for them. Yeah, uh, they uh, they made a real, a really serious error PR-wise in uh, initially backing um, Alison Rose, I think she was called, the CEO. Yeah, you know, departed. No, yeah, even... Um, even as a journalist who likes it when people come to me with uh, off the record stories and so on, there's just no, there's no justification for the CEO of a bank uh, sharing sort of personal information about a customer and his, because we were able to glean something about Nigel Farage's financial position from, from what was said there. Uh, the CEO of a bank can't do that. So for the board to back her initially, rather than saying, sorry, Thanks, you've done a good job in many ways, but you've got to go at this point. Um, that looked awful. And I think there'll be some ongoing fallout for the board of directors from that hastily taken and ill-judged decision, I think. But um, we'll, we'll see how that see how that pans out. It, it could have been nipped in the bud. And I think the interesting backdrop here is uh, there's a whole debate around, you know, the, the growth of sort of the cashless economy. There is... Uh, uh, 
an, an element of uh, the public, the, the the banking, you know, banking consumers that don't really trust the cashless economy. And I think they're going to be, I don't want to call it conspiracy theories, their, their perspective is going to be further fueled by um, by by this incident and by this uh, lack of trust that's grown off the back of this decision. But yeah, I 100% agree. It could have been nipped in the bud early with that decision. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hope it raises a slightly broader point than because um, the, the Farage incident you're all, and Coots, you're almost looking at people who've got plenty of cash. They don't have to worry about it. There's a lot of people who struggle to get access to banking services at the bottom end of the financial table. Um, so I'm hoping it'll open up a, a bit more of a debate about that and how we make sure people who are the most vulnerable financially uh, have access to proper banking, cash when they need it, and all, all these things which make day-to-day life uh, a lot easier for people. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that will be one outcome of uh, what's been a fairly unedifying spectacle so far. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on uh, branch closures. The the trend of branch closures during a tough economic climate is extremely worrying. And uh, yeah, a, a really important point that you raise there. Okay, well, uh, thanks for joining me today, Joe, and walking us through open banking. Um, if you're out there, uh, you want to listen to us today, you want some more information about uh, the future of open banking and developments in the payment sector, um, in general, uh, we've lost some links in the uh, the description, podcast description below. And also you can just log on to paymentexpert.com. And um, while we're at it, I'll do the normal end of podcast begging. Please follow us on LinkedIn because that's the, uh, the easiest way to stay up to date with the latest episodes of uh, iGaming Daily. So Joe, thank you again. And to you out there, the listeners, thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of iGaming Daily, brought to you in conjunction with SBC Summit Barcelona, being held at the FIRA Barcelona Monduic on the 19th to the 21st of September. If you want to find out more about some of the subjects raised today, feel free to explore any of the sites in the SBC News Network or check out the latest edition of the SBC Leaders magazine. Happy reading.